So if we can open our Bibles, we're going to go to the book of John this evening, John chapter 20. On a dangerous seacoast where a lot of shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members went out, and they tirelessly searched and, and looked. They were out on the boat in the waters looking for people that were lost there. And almost uh, even, even not paying attention to their own safety at times, but just really dedicated people that went out day and night. Many lives were saved by the station, and it soon became famous. So people that were saved and then other people in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the work. So they gave their time, they gave their money and their energy, all in helping to support this life-saving station. So they were able to buy new boats, and they hired new crews that were able to go out to do this as well. The little life-saving station grew. Well, some of the new members decided that, or they began to be unhappy that the building was so crude and, and that it was poorly furnished. So they said, you know, we really need a more comfortable place to serve as the first refuge for these people that are being saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds, and they put better furniture in an enlarged building. Well, soon the place became a popular place for the members to meet. And so they furnished it a little bit better and kind of like a club. Well, less of the members were now interested in going out on the life-saving mission, so they decided to hire some lifeboat crews. And yeah, they still talked about life-saving, but really many of them were too busy or they lacked the necessary commitment to actually go on these life-saving missions personally. Well, about this time, there was a large ship that was wrecked off the coast, and the hired lifeboat crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, they were sick, and the most important thing at that time was they messed up the club considerably. So the property committee immediately had a shower house that was built outside the building so that the victims could be cleaned up before they came into the club. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activity because it was unpleasant. It was hindering the normal life pattern of the club. But some of the members said, well, wait a minute, that's our primary purpose. And we are, after all, called a life-saving station. But they were voted down and they said, well, if you guys want to continue saving the lives of all these various kinds of people that are shipwrecked here in the waters, start your own club or start your own life-saving station just further down the shore. And so they did. Well, as the years went by, the same changes that occurred with the first life-saving station happened with the second, and yet another life-saving station was started. So today, if you visit the coast, you'll find a number of, life, of clubs, exclusive clubs that dot the, the shore, and there are still lots of shipwrecks that happen, but most of the people now drown. Now, this is a parable that I heard about 11 years ago, and I thought, wow, that really can describe a lot of churches that I know or that I've been associated with. So we're going to talk tonight about this idea of being sent, of, of having a mission. Now, when you go to the Great Commission passages, we find in the, gospel, the Gospels and Acts, um, we see that mission is not meant just for one specific group of Christians. Does that make sense? So it's not meant for people that are like in a super spiritual class. It's not meant for people that um, 
I don't know, maybe you think of it this way, people that are crazy and decide to pack up and make their home in another country. It's not for people that mysteriously get a call. It's not just for them. A lot of times when we talk about missions, we give an analogy of the front lines versus the back home in the trenches, right? We use that a lot. But I'm not sure how helpful that is. Because last time I checked, home is not in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Home is not in Meadville, Pennsylvania, where my family lives. Home is in heaven. We're here passing through. We're pilgrims on this earth going to our final destiny, or final home. So does that make sense? So it's not front line back versus back home in the trenches. We are all sent to the outpost. We are all on the front lines. Just our place changes a little bit. The truth is we're all on this grand enterprise together. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a hint. It's not a way to get into the Christian Hall of Fame. It's none of those things. It's not to get extra credit with God. It is our duty, our responsibility as Christians. We are all sent on mission. What's different? Well, our context, where we live, right? So when you go to the grocery store, you don't need to speak Slovak. We do. That's something that's different. Maybe the people that we're with, the customs that people have where we are. But really, all of us in church here this evening should be on one of two paths. The missions path, well, there you would be sent to the nations. And Lord willing, maybe some of you will go, and that would be awesome. But then the second path isn't necessarily just the stay-at-home path. It's a, it's a sentness path. So still, do you get the idea? Still being sent, just the location is different. So some are sent to the nations. Some are sent right here in Pennsylvania. So as we talk about uh, missions, as we talk about the Great Commission, we're going to actually go to one of those passages this evening. And this is my main point here tonight, is that you have been sent by Jesus to continue his mission. Now, we're going to the book of John in chapter 20, and this is one of the Great Commission passages. It's often overlooked because we like to go to Matthew 28, right? Or we go to Acts 1, and we talk about the church growing, expanding in the world as it goes out. But here in John, we have another of the Great Commission passages, and we're going to spend a few minutes here this evening. Here we're fast-forwarding to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. It's Sunday evening, Resurrection Day, and Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, probably a house in Jerusalem. Uh, we're not sure where, maybe, but the door's locked because it's a tense situation. They're scared. A lot has happened since the upper room scene, you know, where Jesus is there with the disciples and you get the idea it's this intimate fellowship. But a lot has happened since then. There was the betrayal in the garden by their brother, right? There was the accusal by the servant girl at the high priest, Caiaphas' place. Jesus has been tried, he's been condemned, tortured, crucified like a criminal. Nothing of this could they ever imagine, but it happened. So they're long removed from that time where they were able to spend with their master in a, in a more pleasant setting. They're scared. So with that in mind, let's read John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. 
And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. This was a scene the disciples would never forget as Jesus sends them out on mission, to continue his mission. Well, in order to appreciate this incident, we need to look at the theme of sending or being sent as it is presented in the book of John. And we see in John that it's really a big emphasis for him, a major theme. We'll look at a couple of the words that are mentioned uh, with, with this theme. Apostello is mentioned 28 times. And you can see here most of them come in the Gospels but most of all in the book of John. Then you go to another word meaning to send is pempo. And here you can see overwhelmingly the amount of times it occurs in the New Testament, it occurs in John. So John, as a disciple reading the scriptures, wants us to know about this theme. Wants us to know that this is serious, that we are sent. Now, it's, they're literally scattered throughout the book. And who are the people that are sent in John? Well, of course, you had John the Baptist, you have Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, but then the disciples and a group that includes us as well. Jesus has sent you, his disciple, to continue his mission. Well, if we're going to continue Jesus' mission, and we'll get there, but I suppose it would be good to also look at that mission just a little bit, because after all, what are we continuing, right? And what a mission it was, a mission for the ages, but it would be helpful what we're going to do is go through the book of John in some of these verses where it mentions the verb to send and to see if that can help us as we look again here in John chapter 20. Well, first of all, we see that God the Father sent his Son. Of course, we all know John 3.16, right? We'll go to John 3.17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, this is, this is extremely important. This tells us who God is, his character. He's a sending God. He is a seeking God. In other words, he did not leave us to flounder in our sin, destined one day for hell to, to be destroyed there, to, to, to live forever and ever in that state. That's not our God. He developed this search and rescue mission. And again, we just got done with Christmas and that season where we celebrate Jesus breaking into our world on mission. Well, this plan is important, and we see this in the book of John. But first of all, know this, that when you send a message, how we send our messages actually matters, right? We know this because we have, we have a lot of different ways to send a message, message right now, right? We can text someone. We can call someone. We can put something on Facebook for everyone to see. We can uh, meet someone face-to-face, -face. and we have different ways we like to convey our message. Well, back at that time, for a Jew to send his only son or his firstborn son with a message meant that that was extremely important, that it was an urgent, important mission, and that's exactly what God the Father did. Kostenberger says this, it was a common feature of Jewish life for a father when seeking to safeguard the delivery of an important message to send not a hired servant but a son, preferably his firstborn. 
It's an important mission. And we saw that, right, in John 3, 17. We're talking about the world here. This isn't just saving someone's cat. It's not about something small. It's the world that we're talking about. And that was Jesus' mission. Not only was it important, it was urgent. Have you ever been asked to do something by your parents, like sent on a mission? I remember. Um, I don't know if mom remembers. Hopefully not. But a lot of times dad would send me out to get something, or maybe like for a pair of scissors. And sure enough, it was buried somewhere under some drawer in a desk, and I could never find them. So he would give me all these detailed directions. And with my young mind, I would either forget or be distracted, or there were too many steps. And a lot of times I would be in there and thinking, okay, First of all, what was I supposed to find? And then second of all, where is it? So I would fail on my missions frequently when he would send me on those. But thankfully, that was only for a pair of scissors or for a pen. Here we're talking about an extremely urgent mission. And we know that because of several metaphors that are used here in the book of John. We go to chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. The disciples have gone. They're Uh, seeing Jesus as they come back, they're seeing him talking with a woman and they urge him to eat. What was Jesus' response? John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye there are four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. A very familiar passage, right? The harvest does not last forever. This is urgent. And Jesus took it that way. Yes, he could have been eating. Yes, he was sick, or not sick. He was probably tired. He was hungry. But he took time out because this was his mission, and he wanted to accomplish that. It was an urgent mission. The harvest does not last forever. Another metaphor that we have is the metaphor of day, chapter 9. Now, Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Jews just tried to stone him, but he hid, and he now passes by a blind man. Let's go to verse 4 of that chapter. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So yes, it's the harvest, but also he gives us another metaphor to show us that it's urgent. Night is coming. While it's day, he was there. He was able to give out the gospel. He was able to be with them in the flesh, but that wasn't always going to be. A day was coming, or the time was coming, when it would be night. And the opportunity would be gone. So it was an important mission. It was an urgent mission. Now, this is a crazy plan, right? Would you accept this mission? Being sent to die for people that probably don't even want to be saved? (laughs) Not too many of us would sign up. Jesus did accept it, and not only that, he perfectly executes his mission. So the plan comes from the Father, but then Jesus, he perfectly executes it. And what did he do? How did he accomplish his mission? He revealed to them. See, up until now, God was in heaven, or God was apart from them. But here, we have a moment in time when God breaks into history, he breaks into a specific culture, and he becomes one of us. Wow, that's incredible. He reveals to people. He reveals what God is like in words. We can hear. We can listen to it. By his actions, we can see what God is like, the character of God, and that's exactly what happened. But it's interesting, as Jesus describes his mission, he reveals with his words. He's teaching God's words. John 7, 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine. 
but his that sent me. Again, referring them to the Father that sent him. John 14, 24, and I'm sorry I'm going through these quickly, but I do have them up on the screen as well. John 14, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So do you see he's constantly reminding them that his mission comes from the Father. He's revealing the Father. And there's another one from John chapter 8. Not only his words, but also his judgments. Uh, we go to chapter 8, and verse 16, where he says this, And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. In other words, just as my words are not just mine, they're the Father, so are my judgments. So do you see he's revealing to us who the Father is, what the Father's judgments are like. So we have a glimpse into the Father. Also, redemption. So he, not only did he reveal, but he redeemed us. And we already went to John chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. But also, let's go to John chapter 17 and verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Then going, moving to the final consummation of our salvation where we are taken up, right? That comes in, in John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again on the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Lastly, as Jesus, as we're, we're talking about Jesus' mission here, as he's performing his mission, his relationship with the Father was perfect. Jesus didn't come down to the earth to do his own thing. He didn't start to rewrite the rules and say, well, I think I'll do this, or I think I'll veer off in this direction. No, he was all about the Father. He was doing God's will in chapter 5 and verse 6. In chapter 7, he says, I'm seeking God's glory. They're bearing witness to each other in chapter 5. His mission is so connected with the Father that how we respond to one is how we respond to both. Chapter 5, verse 23 says this, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. What a mission. Jesus was so in tune with his Father that he did everything perfectly. He revealed who God was. He made a way to be saved. He was only here for three years. And yet he lived that out as an urgent and important task. Everything he did brought glory to the Father. That was an awesome mission. That was the mission par excellence, if we call it that, right? That was done perfectly. So that was the mission. Now we come to the continuing part. So how in the world, okay, we've kind of set ourselves up for failure, right? How in the world can we ever continue this mission that we just went all about talking about how great it was? After all, if we're, think this through this with me, if we're revealing and we're redeeming, would we want to even do that? I mean, even if we could, would we want to redeem the world like Jesus did? We can't. That's not us. We can't possibly do that. What I, what I think is important for us to understand is that it's not that Jesus is passing us a baton. It's not that we now have to fit into his shoes and do it exactly like Jesus did. And I want to explain what I mean by that. As we look at the book of John again, I'm sorry, those are a little hard to read at the top, but you see past. What Jesus was, was reaping 
followed the contributions of people that came before him. And that we get from chapter 4 and verse 38. Look at what it says. Um, oh, I guess I don't have that up here. In chapter 4, verses 38, he says, I, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. So do you see? Even Jesus continued a mission that had started before his own because it came from the Father. So he entered in. He and the disciples were, were gaining fruit from what had happened before. And then in chapter 17, in his prayer in the garden, he talks about those coming after him. And how if they were unified, that would also bring fruit. So do you see there's a timeline at work here? So we can, we can actually be eased by this a little bit. It doesn't all depend on us fulfilling exactly everything as the way that Jesus did it perfectly. We'll talk about that a little bit more too. So back to the question that's burning inside of us. We can't do what Jesus did, so how in the world can we ever Continue Jesus' mission. Well, this is important to understand. We join Jesus' mission. Did you catch that? We're not starting something new. We're joining Jesus in his mission. That's what he's saying here in chapter 20 after all. And this is what is very actually uh, refreshing and relie relieving for us too. Kostenberger said this, Jesus' mission itself is never rescinded or abandoned in the fourth gospel. Jesus is still through the Spirit and his disciples carrying out his mission, though now from heaven. So going through the book of John, and we look and see what are the tasks that disciples are to do. We're his disciples, right? So what are we to be doing? Well, as we look at these things, we, do, we see this truth that we're not starting something out. We're joining Jesus' mission. What do we do? Well, we harvest. What are we harvesting? Is this coming from ourselves? Is this something where, where I did all the work and now I'm harvesting it? No. This is Jesus' work. Who, who tugs on hearts? Who brings the conviction that leads to salvation? The Holy Spirit. That's not me. That's not my clever words. That's not the exact way that I uh, present the gospel to someone. I can try my best, but that's not, at the end of the day, what will bring someone to Christ. It's God. So as we harvest, we harvest what is not our own. And here's actually, here's chapter 4 and verse 38. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. Another one, we bear fruit. Again, does this fruit come from us? Well, we all know John chapter 15, talking about the vine, where all of life comes from the vine. We are attached onto that, and as we are attached onto the vine, Jesus Christ himself, we get our life, and we are able to bear fruit. Again, not our fruit. We're bearing only when we remain in Jesus. What's another thing? We testify. Well, the very nature of testifying in this case, we're testifying to God. So again, all the attention, all of the glory goes to God. We're testifying. We're pointing people to Jesus Christ himself. So do you see, as we're we're continuing the mission. We're joining Jesus in his mission. One more, and this comes in our text tonight, chapter 20 and verse 23. We're forgiving others their sins. I'll read that verse one more time. Whosoever sins ye remit, they're remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they're retained. Now, this is not like that we're some kind of pope, you know, where we can determine who gets forgiveness and, and who doesn't. But basically what he's saying here is that as we bring the gospel to people, as we tell them about God and about Jesus' sacrifice, that then if they accept that, their sins can be forgiven. If they reject that, they're not. 
So again, we're participating in on Jesus' mission. And this is a great missions principle because we can take comfort in this, that it w- God will accomplish his will, period. It will happen. Now, whether he uses you and I for that, you know, that will depend on, on a lot of things. And if we're connected with him, if we're connected to that vine for our vitality, for our life. But God will accomplish his mission. Missions is not up to us. Now, if you're feeling anything like I am, you might be feeling help, right? Because after all, how can we do this? Okay, fine, it's not up to us, but still, this task is huge. It's enormous. How can we do this? Well, again, we get some help, and it comes right in these verses as well. We're empowered for the task. The Holy Spirit is given. Look at what happens. He said in verse 22, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Wow, what a help. That's the only way that this can get done. It's not, again, through you or I or whatever we come up with or presentation and, okay, if I do it this way, people will listen. No, they won't. It's God who does the work. We're empowered for the task. Now, let me ask you this question. Did the Holy Spirit make a difference to the men that were gathered in that room? (laughs) Here, remember the picture? We have these guys that are scared to death. They're they're fearing that they're going to die. Jesus enters in and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost, and wow, what a difference happens after this. We have the book of Acts where we see that these men were on fire for God, giving up their lives as martyrs, many of them. And that gives us hope, because yes, the task looks daunting, but we have the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap it up tonight, first of all, you might be sitting here this evening, and we're talking about missions, we're talking about Continuing this grand mission, but maybe you've never become a Christian. In that case, the mission is for you. You need to ask Jesus to be your personal Savior because that is the most important thing that you can ever do in your life. Please realize that. So if you've never been saved here tonight, I urge you to do that. Talk with someone. Talk with someone, and they'll explain from the Bible how you can do that this evening. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. For those of us who are saved this evening, uh, two questions I have. One, how are you doing participating in mission? That's a fair question to ask, right? As we've just looked at John chapter 20, it's not just for me. It's not for the Rice family going to Slovakia. That's not who missions is for. It's for all of us. So how are you doing? And note what I'm not asking or proposing. Ed Stetzer, I think, is right on when he says this. Whenever you have a missions conference, whenever you start talking about missions from the Bible, people think, okay, well, we need to go more and we need to give more. That's not what I'm asking tonight. Yes, those are good things, but that's not what I'm asking because we all are on mission, as I mentioned. How are you doing right here, right now? My second question is, Are you in urgency mode? Or are you standing in the shadows waiting for somebody else to do it? Ah, okay, so we have this need here. Somebody somebody else will get get to that. I can't. Are we in urgency mode? As we just looked at Jesus, he was in urgency mode. He said the harvest. He talked about the harvest. He talked about night. This is not going to last forever. And he was all about the business of his father on mission. Have you been sent for something and can't remember what you're looking for, what your mission's like? 
like the clubs along the seacoast. So I urge you to sit somewhere, maybe this week, tonight. Think through your life. How are you showing by your words and actions that you are on mission? I think if we all, it's, it's cool to think about if we all got this, if we all realize that we, the church, are under orders, people would see that we don't treat the earth as our home. They would see that we do some crazy things that, that they can't explain. Why would you do something that hurts yourself? Why would you do something that, that actually you have to pay for or that, that, that you know, making a sacrifice? That doesn't make sense to them. People would see that we prioritize people over things. Our coworkers would see that we're not concerned with treasures here, that we're not all about that, and yet we're looking to, to heaven. People would see that we don't waste time on useless stuff, but redeem the time. That would be a church on mission. You, you personally have been sent by Jesus to continue his mission. Let's pray.